0: That is the Leaning Tower of Pisa, not pizza, Pisa. Does anyone know where Pisa actually is? I had to look it up on the internet. I knew it was in in Italy, but I I didn't know exactly where in Italy, so I, I looked it up this week. Okay, here's building number three. Do you recognize this famous clamshell design? This is the Sydney Opera House in Sydney, Australia, down under. Building number four, do you recognize this place? Do you recognize this city? That's the Empire State Building. Some people confuse the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building. They're both found in New York City. Um, I like the Empire State Building because that's the one King Kong climbed, right? Building number five, this is a cathedral, brightly colored. This is St. Basil's Cathedral. Do you know what city? Moscow, right? The Red Square. Perfect. Building number six, what city is this? that's Big Ben, right? The city of London. Perfect. Our next building is a blend of old uh, old. Um, Building and new building, old design and new design. Uh, This is the Louvre Museum in Paris. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, the Eiffel Tower is more clearly associated with Paris than the Louvre Museum. But the Eiffel Tower is not really a building, so it didn't fit into my quiz. All right, here's the next building. What city is this building associated with? This is the Dome of the Rock, right, in the city of Jerusalem. It's very interesting that we have a Muslim shrine in a Jewish city. But there it is, the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. Let's get a little closer to home, perhaps. Do you recognize these buildings and the city that they're associated with? Perhaps the Canadian flag on the top is the giveaway. These are the Parliament buildings in Ottawa. Yeah, how many of these are you getting Good. Here's our last one and this one is even closer to home, right? How many of you recognize this place? Yeah. Some of you might even be singing this song right now, right? Green is the color. Mosaic Stadium in Regina. Pretty much the only thing that's good about the city of Regina, right? Regina. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A Swift current people, we we love we love Regina, right? We we love we love our buildings. As human beings, We just love our buildings. And when it comes to worship, how do you worship without a building to worship in, right? It's such a difficult question that so many of us are struggling with right now. Many church plants deal with this question on a regular basis, right? They're a new church, and so they don't have a building. They're renting temporary spaces, and they can't always use those spaces. Sometimes they're used for other rentals, and sometimes the church plant outgrows the place that they're renting, and they have to move, and it's, it's tough for them. We are, all of us, such physical, material people. We've just, we just associate non-material things to material places and material objects. Even in our worship, right? Jesus took a cup and he said, this cup, this material thing is a new covenant in my blood. It's a reminder of a spiritual thing. We don't have it on our screen, but it's just off to the side of the stage, the cross. The cross reminds us of Easter, We've been struggling really hard. Lee was trying to figure out how to fit a cross into our decorations. And we just decided that it just wouldn't work. But that's how closely we associate the material thing, a wooden cross, an old wooden cross, to the reality of Easter. When you think about it, look around you where you're sitting, right? It's four walls and a a roof. It's a house, a material thing. But it's also a home. And some of you are definitely feeling in this isolation that you're missing this, this place. Bridgeway Community Church's building, right? You miss this place, this building where we would gather every Sunday. The, the pew, your, your favorite spot is sitting empty right now. This place where we meet, our home. Bridgeway Church family's home. And of course, I mean, you know, church is so much more than just the building where you meet in, and yet the building still matters. The matter and the mystical, the the material and the non-material, the substantial and the spiritual, the physical and the metaphysical, they are all connected to each other in ways that are beyond our human ability to grasp or fathom. And our God knows this. I mean, when you think about creation itself, everything that exists, God spoke into being other than us. And when it came time to creating human beings, God is the one who took dirt from the earth and formed it with his hands and then breathed into it. The the spiritual being breathed into the material. That's what we are made of. The dirt of the earth breathed into by the breath of God. And God is the one who gives us physical things. To remind us of spiritual realities. I mean, think about Psalm 84 for a moment. We sang that song. Matt sang it for us this morning. And it was written by a human being, but it comes from the mind of God. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. Now that part, you could probably take that as either physical or non-physical, literal or spiritual, but verse 33 starts to get much more concrete. Even a sparrow finds a home there. And the swallow builds her nests and raises her young at a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. You know, today is Palm Sunday. Today is a day where we remember something that literally happened and the spiritual meaning of it. Today is a day where we remember Jesus literally sitting on a donkey, riding into a literal city, Jerusalem, a day where the crowds literally cut down branches from the palm trees and literally threw their cloaks on the road in front of Jesus and the donkey for him to walk on, a literal parade for the King of Kings. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But if you think about it, do you remember what happened at the end of that day, Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem? Mark's gospel says this, Jesus came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and he looked around carefully at everything and then he left See today is is Sunday it's Palm Sunday, and we're thinking about that parade that happened in the morning, Jesus coming into the city. But you know what Jesus is going to do tomorrow, right? You know what Jesus is going to do tomorrow. Jesus is going to come back into the city. He's going to come right into the temple area, right into the place where people worship God, and He's going to clear it out. He's going to chase out the money changers. He's going to turn over the tables. He's going to release the doves. He's going to make a, a, a whip. Out of leather, and he's going to chase people out all the while, quoting Isaiah the prophet, My father's house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. Isaiah 56, verse 7. And I want you to think about this. In clearing out the temple that day, Jesus asserts his authority over the temple. As incredible as the temple is, Jesus is better. Now here in Hebrews, the the writer of the book of Hebrews isn't going to talk about the temple. He's not going to talk about that amazing structure that at the time of his writing was still in existence in the city of Jerusalem. It's been the center of Jewish religion for so many centuries and all of these Hebrew Christians would know about the temple. They, many of them had seen it in person. No, no. The author is actually going to go back in time to a building that no longer exists. He's going to go back to the tabernacle in the wilderness that precedes that temple in Jerusalem. That, that of worship that the Israelites constructed in the wilderness shortly after Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt. Pastor Darren talked about that a little bit, right? That tabernacle was so important to the Jewish people, and yet as important as that building was, as central a part of the Jewish faith, as clearly a representation of God's presence among his people, as endearing and enduring a symbol as it is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is better than the sanctuary in the wilderness, the tabernacle. Now, we got a lot of scripture to get through this morning, so I'm gonna ask you to do something for me this week. I'm gonna ask you to do a little bit of research on your own, to to read it, to to study it, to pray about it. Be careful when you're doing your internet research because there's a lot of crazy people out there. So make sure that your sites are, are, are well-respected and, and trustworthy sites. But I, I want you to do that. I, we're going to skip over a little bit of here this morning. Every single part of the tabernacle has a depth and a meaning and a symbolism. Pastor Darren even walked us through some of that already. We just don't have time this morning in the next few minutes to look at all the leaves on the tree. I, I'm just going to point out a couple of the larger branches. Okay? So let's start with Hebrews 9 verse 1 that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. So it had regulations, it had a location. Here on earth. That's the important part. There's going to be a little bit of repetition here from what I spoke about last week because the arguments are kind of similar. Last week we talked about how Jesus' covenant, the promise, the agreement that he made with humans is superior to the Old Testament covenant under Moses. And this week we're going to be looking at the sanctuary, the truth that Jesus offers us a better sanctuary than the sanctuary under Moses. But, you know, as you think about that, you've got to ask yourself, How's that possible? I mean, seriously, at this point in history, these Hebrew Christians, they haven't built any church buildings. They, they don't meet in churches. They, they don't have buildings. They're probably meeting in homes and other places. They're still going to the temple a few times a year in Jerusalem, and every week they're probably going to their synagogues, and, and those are all pretty nice buildings, and we like our buildings, don't we? <laughs> Whether you're trying to compare to the tabernacle, the tent of worship from thousands of years ago, or or the synagogues and the temple that we go to today as good Jewish people in the first century, how is what Jesus offers better? He's not offering any physical place of worship. When it comes to a sanctuary, a place to worship, a physical location to meet with God... Jesus isn't offering them a blessed thing. He didn't build anything. So, so how do you go to worship when there's no building for you to go to to worship in? And here in verse 1, we see part of the answer. You see the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant that that had all the stuff had all the paraphernalia had the gold and the silver the trinkets and the baubles but jesus's covenant being a heavenly covenant has a heavenly sanctuary skip down to verse 11 christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come he's entered a greater more perfect tabernacle in heaven which wasn't made by human hands and isn't part of this created world You see, the tabernacle, the temple, the synagogues, our church buildings, all of them are earthly buildings. That's really all they are. They have no real eternal value. Bridgeway church building, it's just a building. It has no eternal value. Someday this building is going to wear out. It'll get torn down and someone will put up a parking lot. Put all the trees and put them in a tree museum. Charge all the people a dollar and a half just to see them. It won't last. We're paving over paradise. And if you think paradise is here on earth, news flash: it isn't. Paradise is still coming. And so, so, so this church building here, this temple that the disciples are looking around and are so impressed with, and, and even the tabernacle tent that holds such a fond place in the people's hearts and memories. All of these buildings are nothing compared to the real thing. In fact, all of them are just symbols and pointers. They're they're shadows and types of the real thing that is coming with Jesus. Jesus' sanctuary is the true reality. Look at verse 2 to 5. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room was a lampstand, table, sacred loaves of bread on the table. And this room was called the Holy Place. And then there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was a second room called the Most Holy Place, in some translation, the Holy of Holies. And in that room were a golden incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant covered in gold on all sides, and and inside the ark was a gold jar containing manna, and there was Aaron's staff which had sprouted those leaves, and and there were the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the divine glory whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement, and (laughs) we can't explain all of these things in great detail. There's so much symbolism here. And just like the writer of the book of Hebrews, I just don't have time. I can't explain all of these things to you in detail. But let me just say this. All of it, every single last piece of it, the ark, the altar, the curtains, all of it was a pattern. It was pointing to a distant future reality. The reality of Jesus. Look at verse 24. Christ didn't enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. No, no. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. Now there is a small translation problem in verse 4 that I'm well aware of, the location of one of the items, and it's really only a problem in our English translations, so I'm not going to do a whole bunch of dealing with it. If you want to do some research on that, there's so much out there on the tabernacle and all of its symbolism, feel free to spend part of your time in isolation Reading about the tabernacle. In fact, you could go online and you could order and purchase a copy of the tabernacle. You could like order it, and they'd send you. It's like a little 3D puzzle. You could build the tabernacle. Miller students, I think, do this every year in one of their classes. They build a little a little replica of the tabernacle. There's actually also a full-size tabernacle that tours around North America, and uh, we saw it a few years ago when it came to Saskatoon. It's it's worth your time as well if you. Could and track out where that, where that full-size tabernacle and the people that organized that. That's, that's great stuff, studying the tabernacle. But let me just say this, okay? Every other building that has ever been built and every place of worship that has ever been built has been built by humans, Human hands constructed it. I mean, for crying out loud, in Exodus 31, we even know the names of some of the guys who built that tabernacle in the wilderness. Bezalel and Aholiab. That's pretty cool. Good workmen, highly skilled, even inspired by God, but still just men. Just human beings. Every single building, every single place of worship that has ever been built... Has been built by humans other than one. God built the heavenly sanctuary where we worship Christ. It isn't made by human hands, everything else is just a shadow of that reality. Now, the third thing we see about this heavenly sanctuary of Jesus is that it has a perfect sacrifice associated with it. Jesus' sanctuary has a perfect sacrifice. And it's a bit of a longer reading here, but I hope you'll bear with me and listen carefully to the word of the Lord. Verse 6, when these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered that first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest entered the most holy place, and him only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open. As long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. This is an illustration that's pointing to this present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. And so now Christ has become the high priest over all these good things that have come. He's entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven which wasn't made by human hands and which isn't part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, with his own blood, Christ entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. You see, under that old system, the blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of heifers could cleanse people's bodies for a ceremonial impurity Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from the sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's why he's the one who mediates this new covenant between God and the people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised to them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sin that they had committed under the first covenant. You see, the perfect sacrifice in this heavenly sanctuary, the perfect sacrifice, it's Jesus himself. He was the perfect sacrifice. He has secured your forgiveness, not with animal sacrifices, which are temporary and insufficient anyways, He secured your forgiveness, your redemption, your new life. Jesus secured that with his own blood by giving his own life. Now I'm hoping that whether this is the first time you've ever heard that truth or whether it's a truth that you've heard a million times in your life, I'm just hoping this morning that that truth is still beautiful and true for you. Jesus Christ secured your forgiveness by offering his life. Jesus Christ the son of God died for your sins everything that you've ever done wrong, from the smallest little thing that you, excuse I, was nothing, to the darkest sins that you haven't admitted to anyone, the things that keep you awake at night, all of it is forgiven under Christ. You don't have to go to a tabernacle and sacrifice a chicken. You don't have to go to a temple and sacrifice a bull or a goat. You don't have to go to a priest in a church and confess your sins. You don't have to give away all of your money to the poor. You don't have to do anything Other than ask. Jesus did it all. You see that tabernacle in the wilderness. The word itself Darren said. It means God's presence. Means God's blessing. It means God is with his people. But. God's not in the whole thing. He doesn't even fill the entire tabernacle. He doesn't. He specifically says that he's going to confine himself to showing up in just one small part of that tabernacle. Not in the holy place. The only place where God's presence is, is that inner place. The most holy place. And normal peons like you and me, we couldn't even go in there. Like we were forever separated from the presence of God. We couldn't go in there and be with God. We couldn't go into the most holy place. And even the guys that we looked up to, even the most holy guys, the priests and the Levites, the ones who read the law and helped us understand God, they couldn't go in there. They couldn't go into the most holy place. They couldn't go into God's presence. <laughs> even the religious leaders could not go in and be with God. Only one person the high priest, and only once a year. That's it. One guy once a year. That's all God allowed. God's presence was too pure, too holy, too powerful for us to endure. None of us could go in. And so we all really needed to have something happen to that most holy place. We needed a way to have more of God in our lives because let's face it, following laws and rules is just killing us all. We we're all starting to realize on our own that the law had no power to make us perfect, Hebrews seven nineteen. We were all starting to come to that truth that that first covenant following the rules, that first agreement, it had problems. It wasn't faultless, Hebrews 8, 7, We were starting to realize that we needed something else. We needed a new covenant. And we needed a new high priest. We needed someone who didn't just go in one time once a year, offering sacrifices for his own sin. No, no. We needed someone who could regularly go in to the most holy place, the very presence of God. Someone who could go into that place where God's presence was and then just rip down that curtain so that God could flood out of that place and into all of us so that all of us could be in God's presence, so that all of us could be pure and clean and forgiven. I I mean, wouldn't it have been cool? Like, just think for a moment. Wouldn't it have been awesome if when Jesus died on the cross when he took our sins our death penalty and he paid that debt with his own life blood shed on the cross of Calvary wouldn't have been awesome on that good Friday so long ago if Jesus could have just gone into the to the temple in Jerusalem and gone past the altar and past all of that gone into the most holy place behind the curtain in the sanctuary in the temple where God dwells and 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 Jesus just grabbed that 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 blasted curtain that's keeping God from us and keeping God from us and keeping us from God and just ripped it in half from top to bottom, just shredded it forever wouldn't it be cool so that God could burst out of the sanctuary and and be our God and and could live among us and we could be forgiven and we could be his people, wouldn't it have been cool if when Jesus died he had done that (laughs) oh wait (laughs) he did (laughs) Matthew 27 verse 50 and 51 Jesus shouted one last time and he gave up his spirit and at that moment the curtain in the temple was torn in two torn from top to bottom at the beginning of holy week Jesus clears the temple. He he goes in and he chases out the money lenders so that the people can come in. All people, all cultures, all all races, all all cultures, every language. He clears out the temple so that people can come in. And then at the end of the holy week, Jesus' death splits the curtain of the holy of holies so that God can come out. Jesus is the one who accomplished that. He clears the temple so that we can come in and he clears the most holy place so that God can come out. So that we can be with God our Father. Hebrews 9.28. Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And Christ is coming again not to deal with our sins but to bring salvation to everyone who is eagerly waiting for him. Today's lesson is simple and deep. It's a beautiful truth. You don't need a physical location. You don't need to have a holy city that you make a pilgrimage to. You don't need to have another person intercede with God for you, you have a high priest. You don't need to bring an animal sacrifice to gain forgiveness and eternal life. You, you don't need to show up at 5:10:13th Avenue in Swift Current in order to worship God on a Sunday morning. You don't need to go anywhere. God's come to you. Wherever you are, right now, as you're listening to this message. God's there with you. He's there with you in your little apartment at Riverview. God's there. He's there with you in your tiny little starter home, sitting on the end of the couch, closer than even the dogs. He's there. He's there with you in your nice house across from the golf course. He's there with you on your acreage. South of town, Wymark or north of town, Stewart Valley, wherever it is. God's there with you on the ranch. He's there. And if you ask him to, he'll come even closer than that. See, he wants you to be his sanctuary. If you confess to him that you're a sinner, And that you desperately need him, that is a prayer, that is a promise that he will always listen to that prayer. He'll forgive your sins, he'll erase your past, he'll secure your future, and he will come to live inside of you. You will be his temple, not a tabernacle in a wilderness, not a temple on the Holy Mount in Jerusalem. Not a church on a hill in swift current. God wants to make his home inside your heart. That's the sanctuary that he desires. Isaiah 57, verse 15. The high and lofty one, the one who lives forever, the one whose name is holy. This is what he says. I dwell in a high and holy place. A heavenly sanctuary. But I also dwell with the one who is humble and contrite. A heart sanctuary. I revive the one whose spirit is crushed. I restore the courage of the one who is repentant. In the old temple... In Jerusalem, nobody knocked down the birds' nests. The birds were allowed to come and stay, raise their young. The swallows were not turned away. In this new sanctuary, please know that you are worth so much more to Jesus than many sparrows. He will never turn you away. In Jesus... He wants to make a sanctuary in you.
1: It's going to be different. This next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and you're not going to be here. It's going to be different. And when you think about Easter, when you, when you imagine what your favorite part of Easter Sunday morning is or was, you're going to be thinking most likely about a big service and about us singing together and being together as the family. But think about it for a second. Think about how backwards that is. Look at the Bible and what it talks about the week of Easter Remember, when the Christians all gathered, when the believers in Jesus gathered to sing his praises, that was Palm Sunday. That's when they welcomed the king with singing. There wasn't singing on Easter morning. The believers of Jesus were trapped in their homes, trying to stay safe, isolated, and alone. And in the darkness that morning, as the sun began to rise, the king entered the universe. It wasn't a thousand people lining the streets, singing and throwing branches from the trees on the ground. That wasn't Easter morning. That wasn't the king entering the kingdom. That was a preview. Everyone was at home, locked in their homes for safety in fear. When Jesus brought his kingdom into our world, that morning, that morning when the light shone in the darkness and the darkness was not able to overcome it. So I'm telling you that this week as you prepare for Easter and you're going to have Easter in your home maybe on your couch or around your kitchen table that's going to be Easter this year that is so that is so true to the story that instead of being here to sing you're going to be at home when the king comes bursting through the darkness shining in marvelous light. So open your Bible to the story of Easter this week and just read through it and read through it because the king is coming and has nothing to do with people standing in this room singing songs on that screen. It has nothing to do with that. The better sanctuary is in your heart and the Holy Spirit has come to make a dwelling place right there. God has brought the temple into you. That's what we're going to celebrate this Easter. Thank you, God. And as we close this service, we reflect, Lord Jesus, on the better sanctuary. That you look at us, Lord. And you know that we're worth more than sparrows. You look at us, and Lord, you gave up everything for us. Not that we could have a building and sing. So that your light could come into our darkness, and we would never live in darkness again. And this darkness would never be able to overcome you. So Lord, right now you've forced us out of the building. You've forced us out of being together. And yet the church hasn't changed. So, Lord, I just pray for my own heart and for the heart of our church. Show us, Lord, what it means to be the sanctuary. Show us, Lord, how valuable we are in your eyes. And remind us, Lord, each morning as we wake up, that as we prepare for Easter morning and the coming of the King, darkness will never overcome your light, ever You are so good. You are so good. Lord, we do all of this for your glory. That's why we as a church worship and gather. It's for you. Thank you, Lord, for making a dwelling place in our hearts. Lord, bless your church this morning wherever they are and make them a blessing to all the people around them. Lord, shine your light so brightly to this world this Easter. Even though the world won't see the church gathered, I pray the world would see you and that you would cause revival, Lord Jesus, and salvation to break out in this world. You are our living hope. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.